podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Manchester United 2, Liverpool 1 in the Premier League from Old Trafford are Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett. And Dave, um, we've not exchanged so much as a, a word really, uh, so this is going to be uh, the definition of Raw. It's a shit show. It's a terrible, terrible night for us. Um, I had a strange experience at the end where I found it almost freeing. It's weird. I was almost hoping they'd get another goal or something like that because it felt as if, in a weird way, there needed to be a f- absolute statement kick up the hole because it's been awful um, since the start of the season in many, many ways. Um, a lot of people will hope that this prompts something to happen. Uh, that will be what some people will be clinging to. But I'm going to posit this, and I'm not known for my negativity, but I'm just going to say this to you and see how you react to it. For me now already, the reason I think it's freeing is I think talk about the league and winning the league this, after that there tonight is just stupid for at least a long time and a very good run. Uh, and all we should be concerned about now is getting our shit together uh, and trying to regroup and maybe focus on the Champions League. And maybe that's exactly the kind of season we need. I don't know. Maybe these lads can't do it, can't deal with this pressure, can't deal with this intensity. Maybe that's a possibility. It certainly looked like it tonight. I don't even know where to begin, Trev. But, like, we're three games into the season and people in one way or another are writing it off and finding ways to... Rationalize that with themselves that it's okay to just give up the title. We have the best goalkeeper in the world, the best defender in the world, the best right back in the world, one of the best holding midfielders in the world, and one of the best attacking midf- attackers in the world. And when he's fit, one of the best controlling midfielders in the world. There are very few teams that has the level of talent we have. There is absolutely nothing acceptable about us not competing for the title every single year with this squad. Nothing. No, it's horrendous. It's, it's horrendous. It's utterly disgraceful, Trev. Mm, it's mm. utterly disgraceful. And yet, do you see where I'm going with this? That like... I do. Oh, completely. Completely. Yeah. But yet, yeah. we've had people blindly powering on all summer that, well, we almost won the whole lot last year, but we didn't. We lost the league and we lost the Champions League final. So we didn't win the whole lot or come close to winning. We weren't 15 minutes away from winning the league because we were never top of the league. And we just got outsmarted by Real Madrid because they played 11 and we played 10. And tonight we played nine men. 
Tonight we went to Old Trafford to face the worst Manchester United team in over 30 years. A team that got beaten 4-0 by Brentford last week. A laughing stock. A laughing stock. Like a team that you listen to any podcast by any club fan base in the last two weeks and they're laughing at them. And we go there and make them look like Saki's Milan for the first half an hour because our manager decides to be a really clever lad and play two fellas that have no business being on the pitch for this team. Two lads that wouldn't start together at any other Premier League team. Not one other Premier League team is fielding a midfield that bad this weekend. Not one of them. Not even the newly promoted teams are fielding that level of crap in midfield. And we've got a 19-year-old kid in Harvey Elliott hung out to dry, left by himself in midfield trying to do everything. We've got our captain and vice-captain showing leadership by screaming at each other in the middle of the pitch while the game passes both of them by. We've got a captain whose lack of technical ability cost us not one, but two goals tonight. Both goals come from him lacking technical ability. The first one, we have the ball on the edge of their box and he hoofs it up in the air for absolutely no reason and then shits himself in a challenge with Jaden Sancho. And then United go on down the field and he gets himself back into position and then wanders out of position. Now, others can do better, but it all comes from his inability to control a simple ball. And the second goal, it's a simple ball played to him. His first touch, I mean, I don't even know what how to describe it. He gifts the ball to Martial. One touch, bang, through the middle, Rashford's onto it and score. Our captain got hauled off after 57 minutes tonight. Do you know how bad you have to be to be the captain of a football club going up against your biggest rivals and get hauled off after 57 minutes? And Milner, at least, at least to Milner's credit, he covered every blade of grass he could. At least he tried. But God love the fella. He hasn't been good enough to play for us in years. Every so often he'll turn in a 6 out of 10 performance and that's fine. But fine isn't good enough. It's not good enough for us. Not now. When he joined the club, yeah, he was good enough when he joined the club. But it's not a surprise that we started winning things after he went out with the team. That the level went from about fourth in the league to best team in Europe. That's not just a coincidence. It's one of a number of changes, but part of it was removing players like him. Well, let, let me. They're let not me, good enough, Trev. And let, Klopp, let, this is on Klopp tonight because he picked them. It is. There's no let, reason not to pick let, Sabine. Let me jump in on this because it's relevant. And, and, and I'll segue out of this from you to Carl on the same question by way of introducing Carl too. Is this now, um, and I feel a bit like, Bill O'Hurley back in the day asking the obvious bait question. But Does it's, that make me Eamon Dunphy? I'm not, you can be whoever, if you want to be Jersey, right, you can right, be Let Jersey. me get drunk first. Hang on a but second. Honestly, honestly, I think it's the way it's dropping. I think Carl's Jersey and you are Amos. So here we go. Is this now the screeching apotheosis of every person who's put an argument together about how 
that area of the pitch. Let's not talk about individuals. We've done it to death a million times. We don't have to itemize their shortcomings. But is this, like I say, the absolute flaming apotheosis of the argument that that area of the pitch was not good enough as we went into the season, showed itself to not be good enough as we began the season, and then in a spectacular way, failed on its arse there tonight because of the lack of choice and because of the quality in terms of durability of those specific individuals that are available or aren't available 100% because of that. 100% it is, but they, won't, they still won't accept it, Trev. They'll do you, still do, make do you excuses ha- and talk about other things. They'll still say, oh, but like when everybody's fit, like is this the first injury of Thiago's career? Has he been injured before? Did we knowingly buy this player, knowing he would regularly be injured? I, I believe we did. Is this the first injury Naby's had? If he's even injured, I don't actually believe he's injured. I believe he was left out because he's gone moaning about wanting to leave or whatever. Um, Ox is injured. Is anybody surprised that Ox is injured? But Ox got injured a month ago. You've had a month knowing he was injured. So that's not an excuse. You know, you look through the list of players that are injured. Joel Matip is injured. Joel Matip's always injured. Last season was an aberration. He always misses chunks of season. Like, go through the list of players that are missing. Jota always misses a chunk of the season. Always. Darwin being suspended, nobody could have taken into account. But, like, squad management is so important. It's so vital. And Henderson has injury problems. Milner has injury problems in the last couple of years because he's gotten older. Thiago has injury problems. Ox has injury problems. Kate has injury problems. Harvey Elliott missed all of last season with a freak injury. We won't count him. But he's still working his way back from that and still overcoming the trauma of what happened. And Curtis Jones... He didn't have two injuries last season that caused him to miss chunks. So of the supposed eight midfielders, the only one who's actually elite level and actually good enough to play for this team, sorry, the only one who's actually elite level and doesn't have consistent injury issues is Fabinho. But he does get injured because he gets overplayed and overworked. Like, you couldn't watch us last season and not think that that midfield was problematic. But you could excuse it because the team kept winning, because we have the best defence in the world and one of the best attacks in the world. But the midfield has been a problem for a long time. It's the one area Klopp has never properly addressed. The only time under Jurgen Klopp our midfield has looked on the same level as what the rest of Klopp's ideal team would be was the end of the 2020-21 season when he had Thiago on the right playing advanced and getting involved in the build-up, Fab sitting in and Ginny next to him. And the three of them bossed games. And we managed to go from, I think, sixth or seventh into third with those three in midfield, despite the fact that we had Nat Phillips and Reese Williams at centre-back. Because those three just went out and dominated games. And when you see how Ginny won Aldum's, uh Star has declined in terms of 
the fellow's availability uh, or chances to get on the pitch and now this horrible thing that's happened to him. I don't know how you feel about this, but I honestly, I said it to someone today, I think it was Lisa Marie, I genuinely think if he has, if he had stayed and not moved on and he wouldn't be sitting there with a broken leg now, he wouldn't have had wasted, no, a entire waste of year. But here's what, what would have happened. We'd have one of those big two trophies under our yes. belt because he makes yes, all the fucking difference. Because he, is, he improves he, us defensively. What but did he's also, he's, say he's, recently? He's, he's the durable, unbreakable he's always guy always available. Yeah. Always available. What did Jamie Carragher say recently? Jamie Carragher said the biggest difference between Liverpool and Man City is that Liverpool are too open to counterattacks. We never got countered when Ginny was in the team. Never. He was the best transition defensive midfield player you could find because he could just go and take the ball off somebody. He'd just get in their way. He'd block off a passing lane. He'd track a runner. He'd get in and he'd shield them across and he'd bring them over to a fullback who'd snap in and win the ball back. He might not do a whole lot on the ball, so you get a, a bunch of idiots going, well, what does Ginny Wijnaldum do in the team? He does all the stuff you don't see, all the real dirty work, all the work that other people get credited for because they run around like their head's on fire. He does all the real dirty work. He sits in next to Fab and takes all the load off him. Is it any surprise that Fab has had batches of bad form? since Ginny left that he didn't have beforehand because he's getting overworked? Is it any surprise that Trent is now getting targeted again because Fab can't cheat across to the right to cover for Trent behind the right side of midfielder who's obviously playing much more advanced because he doesn't have Ginny to just slot in. Like the goal we conceded against Palace, once Fab lose, misses that tackle, Eze would have had Ginny right in his face. So he would have either had to beat him, in which case Ginny would have dragged him down, or he has to look for a different pass because Ginny would have blocked the pass to Zaha. I said that last week. It wouldn't have happened. And yeah. tonight doesn't happen with him in the team. Just doesn't happen. Now, it's going to be hard to get away from this as we go on for the rest of the night, but I want to bring Carla at this stage because it feels like um, it feels like we've gone deep into the show without getting to say, uh, I hear a few words from you, man. And listen... It's going to be hard, isn't it, to avoid this as the as the 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 story of the night because it, it, it that area of the field was certainly the 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 the, um, the low point of 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 a, a scabby display um, all round. You could say the keeper did very well for us. You could say maybe Harvey, uh, maybe Luis Diaz. Um, Pull in performances when Carvalho came on, he looked bright as well. But it's you're, you're grasping at straws looking for lads to to elevate beyond. Very disappointing. Um, but I want to give you a chance to address that idea too, because no matter what we do or say, it's like the elephant in the room, and let's it's better get it out of the way at the start of the chat. Um, how are you feeling about that specific area? And what are you thinking it's meaning now going forward? I, I, I floated it there to Dave. Maybe do we go out and do something now out of desperation? Honestly, I think that would annoy me more. Um, and if we don't, I mean, it's hard to not be in a situation where you find yourself going, well, that, that's too many points in two little games for us to be even thinking um, of this swaggering notion of challenging City for a title. We need to just get our house in order and maybe it'll come back round. Who knows? It's going to be a weird season. 
in order to do that, Carl, it feels like we're going to have to address that midfield area in a very, very dramatic way. There are going to have to be fellas cut and there's going to have to be a change, perhaps. Do you think that will happen? Uh, first of all, good, good evening. And uh, I can only assume that your Irish television shows with Eamon Dunphy on them only have one person on the panel because it's just the backwards and forwards between presenter and Eamon. So <laughs> you two tonight. So your job now, Carl, is to wear a shirt with an oversized collar, to sweat profusively, to mumble things, and then to agree with me. That's basically the John Giles role on the show. And uh, if we want to bring Guy in as Liam Brady, that might work as well. Right. Well, um, sweatiness did not happen tonight because we never got even remotely close to them for me to be concerned about winning points or anything, to be perfectly honest. So that's straight out the window. Um, I'm also going to put straight out the window agreeing with you, because um, when you opened up there and said we played with nine tonight, I would reduce that by about four. Uh, I thought there were a load of players who were pretty shocking tonight, to be perfectly honest. And I do agree, however, about what you said with Milner. Um, I thought actually that work rate and endeavour and intent to do things which ultimately he could not do actually lifted him probably above about three or four others, to be perfectly blunt. Um, the midfield was the biggest problem here. And I, I do, as we, we go through, want to explain a really, really big annoying knock-on effect that there was from the midfield in the first half especially, but not just at this moment in time. Um, but the midfield was rubbish. But all three lines were really, really poor tonight as as collectives as what they are. And all the partnerships that we usually have built up down, you know, each channel on each side of the pitch and then the little triangles that we have, all of it was really, really poor tonight and has been for most of this season. The big thing that we have an issue with at the minute is that we seem to be playing for about 15 minutes in each half and you can't do that and win games. And I think that three matches now is surely enough for this group of players and this manager and these coaches to know what we should be doing and what we're not doing at the moment. Um, I think everybody in that squad probably needs to take a big old look at the front page of Pep Linder's book there, because to be perfectly honest, I have more intensity getting out of bed in the morning after I've been injured playing five-a-side the night before than we've shown in the first half of any of the matches this season. It's been really, really poor for the most part. And tonight, exactly the same again. In terms of the midfield, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we do. And... This is still the case from a couple of weeks ago. I've spoken to Dave about it already, and we've mentioned it in our Skelter podcast as well. Um, I, I, I think that there's a possibility something happens, but again, it's going to be still something which is you know, a, a longer-term player. I don't think there's going to be anything coming in in that sort of second group of players, You know, the, the 24 to 26 sort of age group. Um, it's going to be somebody younger than that if we do. It's going to be someone who we add in who's going to be another maybe a squad option. And the bottom line is that when you say about you know, shouting from the rooftops about, look, we, we've said about this midfield problem, the thing is who you're saying that to. Because if it is to you know, Klopp, let's say, for example, it, you are going to get the same answer. We have the midfield options. We just don't have them right now. And that's kind of the point on both sides of the argument, I'm afraid. Um, we do have the options and you've got to keep people happy. But you, there's not really much point in keeping people happy if this is the performance level that they're putting in. And uh, that's the bottom line. And not we will... happy. Well, no, no, I'm not just talking about Naby Keita, though. He, we, we can leave him aside at the minute because he's not conscious. But he's one of the only three so that far. are actually good enough. Well, it's clearly something else, though, isn't it? It's not just about being good enough. It's about being the resilience that you've just spoken about with Wijnaldum, the, 
being able to put in the intensity game after game after game. And it's okay to have people who can come in and out as long as you have the, the replacements for them at the same level, which is something we've spoken about for years and years in the attack, for example. You know, for so long, it took us ages to find a fourth forward who was even close to the level of them. And now we've more or less got five who are of a, a similar sort of level in theory. One of those in particular, we'll, we'll get to him tonight, who is not suggesting he's at that same level at this moment in time. But in the midfield, is a big different matter at the minute. I think that there's been a, a plateau probably two years ago for midfield, and we haven't improved it since then. And you know we could do in the future because we've got people like Carvalho in now, and Elliot, I think, is a really, really good player. But you kind of just expect him to be at the level of the very best around immediately. He's still under fewer than 10 Premier League starts. A lot is needed. We got very, very little. And I, to be perfectly honest, I mean, we'll go over Henderson about 50 times more in this podcast, I would imagine. And it's to do with the match because that's what it was. Um, but right now, all I can say is at the start of this season, what he reminds me of is Momo Sissoko when he came back from his eye injury. He cannot control the ball. He cannot judge the flight of things. He cannot do very, very simple, basic stuff, which he used to be able to do perfectly fine with his eyes closed half of the time. And now it just looks like he's playing with his eyes closed. I want to just pull you up on one thing that you said there and ask you to expand on a little bit because like you said you're right we are going to inevitably talk about the various members of the team and that will cause us to talk about our weak uh, our shortcomings in the field but you said uh, as you were talking about there that <laughs> the, 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 there's been a distinct lack of intensity and would you have any hypothesis yourself as to why that is? Because I've seen people floating stuff along the lines of, well, uh, you know, sensible lads saying things like, well, uh, last season has caught up with us. Uh, or, well, we've been playing this really intense level of football for so long. Or stuff like that. Um, looking for valid excuses to try and sort of make... I don't know, to make it seem as if, um, well, you can't blame the lads or something. I don't know. It, it, it's, no, it's no, not, no, 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 you can't. No, you can't. I'm afraid that's what it is. Everybody at the start of every single season is in the same position. Um, unless you've got like eight of your first starting players have been off to the Euros and they got all the way to the semis or whatever. And we know when it comes back like that, it can be a really, really hit and miss start for the squad. But we've had the first preseason, even though it's not, let's say, as big as it would normally be. We still had the first preseason in, what, two, three three years now? I can't even remember how many it is. Um, we still had opportunity for preparation. We've had months and months and months knowing that, for example, Mane would be leaving, Salah would be staying, regardless of whether that contract got signed or not. Um, you know, We knew which midfielders were going to be on their way to a most extent of who was going to be here or not. You know, there's never been any uh, question of, let's say, Gomez leaving. It was always pretty clear he was going to be signing a new contract. So, no, you've had the preparation time. You've had the opportunity to structure everything as you want. And presumably, they've done in pre-season what they wanted to in terms of uh, the fitness work and in terms of um, you know mobility and getting started in terms of being at a very, very high uh, level tactically as well. This is... I I think like I, everybody watches a different amount of football, right? I, I've watched most games of the Premier League so far. That's my job. That's what I spend most of my time doing. Liverpool are playing like they expect it to already be in that sort of partway through the season, third gear, when teams are a little bit ragged, when teams are a little bit disorganised, when you can start 
kind of gently and steamroller teams into a 2-0 win. And, you know, when we're in our groove and when we're, you know, October, November, and we're running over the results and churning them 2-0, 2-1, 1-0, 3-0, and we're doing it six, seven, eight games in a row, we're in the groove and we're in a really good moment and it doesn't look like we'll be stopped. We're playing that way already and everybody else isn't. Everybody else is going full tilt with the new sign-ins, with new managers, with sense and opportunity to be uh, in the team at a new season, whatever it is. Everybody else is playing quicker than Liverpool at the moment who are doing well. Now, let's take a team like... Arsenal because they're top and because, you know, their fans are a fucking annoyance online, to be perfectly honest, and already think that they're lifting the Champions League this season for whatever strange reason it is. They're starting a lot quicker than Liverpool are in matches. They're playing a lot crisper than Liverpool are. They've had probably just about overall easier games because the the, the nature of the teams that they're playing. Palace had a really, really fractured pre-season. Leicester are a bit of a shambles. And who did they play? Bournemouth, who are just newly promoted and rubbish. So they've had a kind start, but they themselves are playing really well. We are not. We're not playing quickly. We're not playing aggressive. We're not doing everything, basically, that you think is Liverpool as um, hallmarks of the team, let's say. You know, if you pick out any player in particular, Van Dijk, someone like that, someone who you'd speak about all the time, and you pick out like the three or four best traits of his, his long-range passing, his reading the game and getting across to players really, really quickly. These things are not largely happening. They're definitely not happening as consistently every single game as they would be. That opening uh, game of the season for us, Van Dijk's passing was about as good as mine, and I'm rubbish at cross-field passing. It was terrible. And tonight, again, you've seen a couple of times, like you know, Rashford one-on-one, he's recovered well from that, but a couple of times he's really, really slow to react to the way he's going to go. A couple of times... Trent and Joe Gomez have, have been beaten in not even tackles, like people running through them because they've not gone in aggressively enough. They've gone in as if they already know that they're going to win it, but you don't because everyone else is going for it. United were the most up they have been tonight in 18 months, maybe longer than that, because of everything that's been going on around the club and the rubbish, rubbish performances that they put in last week and everything else. They were up for it. You have to match that. You have to. And we were always, always very, very good at doing that. We were very aggressive and we were very, very quick to shut up the other team, basically, by whatever means we needed to. But from about 20 seconds into the game, they barged us over the first time. They barged us over the second time and we did nothing about it. Nothing at all. Apart from a few Milner tackles, Milner sort of barging into people, a couple of things like that during the match. But by and large, we were nowhere near the energy nowhere near the aggression, nowhere near the technical level that we're capable of because we're miles better than Man United player for player. It's not happening. Liverpool are not playing as well as they can do. If you're not going to do that, if you're only going to do it for 20 minutes a game or 30 minutes a game even, you're not going to win. It's that simple. And at the start of the season, everybody else is doing it. This is when everybody does it. You have to start fast and we haven't. By by means of trying to get into our more... um traditional run then because I want I did want to give both of you a chance to speak at length at the start and job done there and I can't vouch for the uh veracity of these quotes but I'm seeing things being attributed to Klopp already saying we should have won this game I know it sounds ridiculous but that's how I saw it and my favorite um thing that I've seen so far as I was listening to both of you was a tweet from uh, Fabinho's wife saying, I miss Fab already uh, a little bit into the course of the game. And, Just um, after the first goal. So Just after the first goal. Really, is that what it was? Um, uh, these kind of things don't 
really sit well with me, I have to say, normally. But um, that club, that club line, it, it's absolute bullshit. We should have won the game. What are you talking about? What did you watch? Like, what game did he watch? He hauled his captain off in 57 minutes, took off Milner, and, like, threw on a, a, a kid and a left-back late in the game. Like, what, what did he think was going on? I, I'd love I'd love him in this situation. And he normally gets most things right in terms of judging the tone of stuff. But I'd love him to just have the humility to say that, yeah, we had 71% of the ball. We can all, we can all see the stats. I found him surprising, I'll be honest, that we had more chances and far more possession of the ball. I, I did find it surprising in the wake of how I felt during the game. But you'd like him to have the humility to say that, uh, you know, in this situation. No, we didn't fucking deserve to win that game at all. And at, at, towards the end of the game, uh, Rashford runs at us and he goes through Joe Gomez like he's not there. Uh, and, and and it's terrifying. He, but he blasts one just narrowly over. And that kind of summed the game up. If they wanted to attack us, they could do it. If they wanted to run through us, they could do it. And you'd like to, you'd like a little bit more acknowledgement of the fact that we were absolutely abject in several areas of the park. Trev, yes. If Bruno Fernandes went and stood in the middle of a fucking public park, he wouldn't have as much space as he did tonight. They just they didn't even run through us. They walked through us. Christian Eriksen can't run. They were walking through our midfield. Well, you know, from minute they... one, and we were stood there dumbstruck. dumbstruck. Yeah, were, it was also far too easy for them to get past our defenders too, who are very flat-footed and making silly, silly decisions yeah. on a re- regular basis. So, like, it, it is a shit show all round. We have to admit that. Like, and, it and, is. And, but and, when and your defense is left trying to defend six players and there's only four of them, and there's no help from midfield. And your attack is left with no support or supply from midfield. Well, you would also say the man you've now dubbed Robert was ineffectual in regard to the press. Uh, he was, because he had to drop into midfield because we were getting destroyed. Compared to how he should be. So so let's just leave the Liverpool lineup as is. We, we've we already sort of alluded to it. Um, the, 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 the preferences you might have are, are pretty obvious. You don't need to be a genius to know where we're going with this where the lads have been suggesting we should have gone with this. Let's just look at United by way of talking a little bit about them and getting the bal- the balance back in the show before we go through the events of the sh- of the match. And Dave, I'll just start with you on the United lineup because, you know, you, you, I've been listening to you during the week. I listened to you and Carl. Um, I was speaking to Jan. Everybody was in a kind of similar sort of mindset, which was, look, we haven't exactly been impressive, but this lot... Are are absolutely awful, and they are the, the the wheels have come off, and it was hard not to find solace in that. Now everybody else was saying these things, but I will I have to give you credit. I heard you saying stuff that I was saying elsewhere as well, which is it's more it's a, a far bigger game for them because they've not even accrued a single point they've been humiliated and it's us and if they're ever going to get it right it's going to be in this game against us in their home patch and they started tonight 
that it was a little bit exaggerated to hear sort of uh, the the nonsense come from Carragher and Tyler and and, and and Neville about how, you know, Ten Hag was really brave and, and a reboot. But there were decisions made by him that you have to take your hat off and say, well, OK, everyone was laughing at Martinez. He had a cracking game tonight. Mm-hmm. Everybody was laughing at, at the idea that they couldn't get their midfield tonight or their midfield together. Well, he made a couple of little tweaks there. Everybody was saying, oh, Ronaldo's ruling the roost. Nah, that's not the case. On the night, they went with De Gea. They had Dallo, Varane, Martinez, Malasia. Very fond of that kid's gumption, you'd have to say. Eriksson, McTominay, Alanga, Fernandez, Sancho, Rashford. That's a pretty ballsy team, Dave, and it's a team designed to play football on the front foot at pace. Uh, And maybe it's not a team that's as designed uh, to absorb the kind of pressure that we should have put on them, but at least the intention seemed to come true. And he did bench uh, the captain, and he did bench Ronaldo, and he did bench Juan Bissaka. I don't know, and, and Fred, maybe credit where it's due, man. What do you think? Oh, 100%. He got all the big calls right in his team selection tonight. All of them. He dropped the, cl- the club captain because the club captain's not good enough. He dropped Cristiano, the biggest star in the league, because he has a detrimental effect on how they play. He dropped both of them and went with Went with a team that you could see was going to be good in possession. Two attack-minded, quick-footed fullbacks, two ball-playing centre-backs, Scott McTominay, whatever he is, and Ericsson next to him, another ball-player, then the front four. Pace out wide, well, on the left, creativity wide on the right, pace up front, goals from Bruno. That was what they had. And as soon as I saw their team, I saw their team before they saw our team, I thought, that's too attacking to go against us. We'll we'll turn that team over because that's too attack-minded. That's not going to be good enough defensively to hold up against us. And then I saw our team and my view on it changed. But credit to Ten, to Ten Hag, it was a very brave decision. And I think even if Klopp had gotten his team selection right and we'd gone on and won the game, I do think they'd have caused us a lot of problems just with the options that they had and how committed they were to getting forward. And with us not having Darwin, they didn't need to worry about the the lack of physicality at centre-back. You know, like if you're putting five foot nine Mo Salah up against Martinez, Martinez can deal with that physically. He couldn't deal with a Darwin, like he couldn't deal with Ivan Tony at the weekend, or he couldn't deal with Danny Welbeck the weekend before. But from a physical point of view, he could deal with Salah. He could deal with Harvey Elliott. He could deal with James Milner running slowly into the penalty area. We played right into their hands, but they took advantage. And to their credit, they started well, but the bigger issue was that we didn't start at all. I tweeted after 15 or 20 minutes, forget about buying a midfielder. How about just having a midfield? Because they were absolutely battering us around the place. 
and our midfield was completely lost. Kyle is a good spot to bring you in, man, because, again, for the sake of the listener who has remained with us, desperately hoping that there'll be something a little bit more sort of, uh, uh, not upbeat, but maybe to, to qualify stuff a little bit. We do, of course. It just doesn't feel like something we should be doing, which is to cry about injuries, really. Um, but when you look at the Liverpool bench, and I'm, I'm bringing you back to United, don't worry, I'm, I'm, I, want you to, I want you to give your take on them. I just want to get it out there. When you look at the Liverpool bench, you have Fabinho, who most of us agree we'd like to have seen starting. And again, we'll never know what's going on here or there. That's that, I, I assume that will never be discussed. But when you look at the rest of the bench, Adrian Simicas, Carvalho, Clark, Bacetic, Phillips, Vandenberg, Davies, it does make your blood run a little cold with the absolute lack of options there. And to be fair to the lads who came on, they did do a bit uh, and they did improve things a little bit for us, specifically the youngest of those in Carvalho. But I want you to have a chance to talk about United as well, because you spent a lot of your week looking ahead to this game and thinking about them and the way that they operate. And do you think whether by design or accident or adversity or suddenly deciding to make the decisions that he wanted to make all along. Do you think their gaffer has discovered now a way that they can actually play? Because if they could play like that, I'll be honest, I think if if, if they were up against Liverpool's proper intensity and maybe like, as Dave says, a little tweak like Darwin Nunes, I don't know how well they do against a really on fire uh, up for a team and we've seen that you know with different personnel they certainly didn't but I'm talking about this iteration here but that shouldn't be an issue over a course of a season where you have that amount of pacey uh, inventive and uh, aggressive play um, and an ability to finish like we saw tonight two really well taken uh, goals has he fallen into a way of playing now that might actually see them annoyingly become quite a decent side over the course of the season. Um, well, look, I mean, it's very, very, very um, easy is probably not the right word, but it's easier to be really up for it. Like United where against your biggest rivals, when your backs are against the wall, where there's not really any further, you can fall, you know, being hammered four nil by a, a very low key side, and fallen to the bottom of the table. There's there's not there's not really anywhere else to go for United. So this was, and you saw this like from, I'm not sure maybe four or five minutes in when we won our first corner and they were all giving themselves like really massive aggressive high fives when they like blocked it behind for a corner and stuff. They were super pumped for this game, and you can't be like that every single match. You know, against Southampton next week, I, I can't see that they'll be reacting the same way because this was, you know, an almost not an all or nothing for them in terms of prove your footballers, you know, not just embarrassing individuals here for a pay packet. This was like eyes of the world on you tonight, Man United against Liverpool. You you have to have a, a performance. You have to have a response. I think it would have been really, really interesting, uh, leaving aside the fact that obviously we wanted Liverpool to win, but just from a, a football and a, a wider 
uh, audience perspective, what would have happened if even after that good start and energetic start, if Liverpool had scored first? You know, it would have been really interesting to see. Would that be like a crumbling moment for them and thinking, oh, here we go again? Because we've seen that happen a trillion times before with clubs, not just Man United. So it would have been very interesting to see what had happened there. As it happens, they can use this as a you know a foundation, a building block, a corner to turn, whatever it is. But also we've seen a billion times over, teams think that they've done that. And two games down the line, they're back to square one because that intensity disappears, that real need to perform disappears. What happens when you're on a three o'clock kickoff instead of everybody around the planet watching you on a, a nighttime game when no other matches are on? It's it's a very different scenario. And finding consistency is very, very difficult in football. Uh, they have loads of good players. And I think he's done some important things tonight. Um, one of those is bringing in a multiple Champions League winner in defence instead of having him on the bench. That's probably a good thing to do. Uh, another thing was putting Rashford up front, which for years and years now I've been saying that Rashford needs to play in attack as opposed to a very deep starting left midfield player. Um, as, a, as a split forward or as, as one playing off one, Rashford has everything that you want in a, in a, in a centre forward, really. Someone who can run the channels and if you've got another shooting type of person and they have two in that start and 11 tonight Fernandes and Sancho are shot monsters when Ronaldo's not playing like they between them would probably average over four shots a game across the course of the season if Ronaldo's not in that team so if you add in Rashford doing the running and the pressing and everything else that they had tonight yeah they've got the foundations there of a team they already should have we already know that you know for quite a long time now United's Big problems have been big egos and having to accommodate certain players. And they've still got a few of those in the team. Uh, there's still going to have to be changes over the course of the next what, one, two, three, four transfer windows, probably, before we see what they could be overall. But it's it's definitely a start. You know, we, we know what the Premier League is now in terms of uh, modern football. That you need to be successful in defending from the front and all that kind of thing. And unfortunately, time passes by everybody and... Cristiano as great a finisher as he is, and I'm sure he'll still have big moments this season if he stays there. On a week-to-week basis, on a if you want to play this way, he's not the one you want, is he? He's, he's probably, if anything, going to have to be shoved out to the side of the you know one wing or the other, whichever side your more aggressive, mobile uh, defensive midfielder is playing. You'll probably have to play in that side and then just let him join the attack as and when. But it's pretty difficult to see that he's going to come straight back into the team after that performance, for example. Well, stay with me as we build up to uh, a pretty key contribution by one of the guys who's looking to emerge as the real stars of this side, uh, Mr. Sancho. And we'll just talk about how that first 15 minutes panned out. Um, They were certainly clearly up for it in those opening minutes. Uh, we needed a good tackle by Virgil on the third on the three minute mark, um, and on the five minute mark, Miller was actually played in and tried to wriggle free of Varane but couldn't quite manage it. Um, in what was an actual very revealing cameo of what Jimmy Miller's night was going to be like, uh, no end of effort and 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 very little by way of actual contribution that made a difference on nine minutes McTominay uh, played a ball into Fernandez uh, Joe Gomez challenge put him off but the ball came to Alanga he takes a touch he has a shot he hits the base of the post we're rattled we don't ever recover from that at any point 
I mean, in terms of looking vulnerable, absolutely, we have loads of ball. But they are very dominant in this opening section. Their crowd are so happy that they're right up for it. I remember for years watching United again and again and watching games at Old Trafford, being at games in Old Trafford. And that lot would cheer for uh, a throw-in, whatever, if they're up for it. And they were clearly up for it. It could have gone very differently, but they were very up for it. So it was making a difference. And I see Klopp trying to put pressure on on Anfield in his comments now to make a difference in our next home game. And it just seems like he might be focusing on the wrong things there. 14 minutes, Virgil plays a lovely ball to Mo. Mo takes a touch, skins his man beautifully, centers the ball into the area that Bobby Firmino is running into. Sadly, that's where it ends. Uh, again, possibly the story of Bobby's night. And on 15 minutes, Carl, we are one down. To Jaden Sancho goal, there's so much I want to talk about here. And uh, I'll let you chat about that opening section and finish with your take on the goal. Uh, and if Dave wants to come in the goal as well, I, I, I'd have to let him as well because it's it, it, and we'll go to the next chunk of the match. But basically, whatever way you cut it, it's way too easy. The goal, the, the way this goal is conceded, balls coming down the side, pullbacks. We're second to everything. Everything looks dangerous. We're just kind of not quite Keystone Cops, but we just are late to react. We're standing off. We're watching things happening. And he manages to put Jimmy Milner on his arse. He commits uh, the keeper with the movement that he makes and then cuts the ball back. Now, he's cutting the ball back with his right foot. And this is the really important part for me. He's cutting the ball back with his right foot with Jimmy Milner on his hoop going sliding off to the right and the keeper having committed to uh, his left. Um, And he has time, Sancho, to wait and still use his right foot, which remember he's cut back with, which means it will be more natural for him to use his left now. But no, he has time to accurately just side foot the ball in the glaring gap. And it's so infuriating. There's a lot to be said around the concession of that goal, including possibly what other people were doing as the ball goes in and what they did in the lead up to it. So I want you to chat about those 15 minutes, the way they took the game to us and focus on your analysis of the concession. Uh, I mean, I think the whole 15 minutes was kind of over and over again what we've sort of spoken about quite a bit already to be perfectly honest it was like you said second to everything it was not just second to everything but when we went in for those second balls we didn't win them we were quite weak in a number of challenges I think Trent Gomez um, even Robertson Henderson especially um, we, we were just nowhere there was no combination of passes there was no real ability to move from the centre-backs to midfield in possession it was all either diagonals out to uh, our two wide fellas or not a lot else, backwards and forwards, and then just giving it away when we did try to go through midfield. There was a lot of occasions when Firmino was coming so deep that he was behind Henderson, behind Milner, and Milner ended up having to run forward. Whether that was by design or not, I don't know. But if it was, I'd like to know why. If it wasn't, I'd like to know why. 
because there was no other option. Somebody had to make the run, so Milner was doing it. Um, again, fair play to him for doing so, but is that the best use of James Milner? Running through to try and occupy a centre-back or two of them to stretch play? Obviously not. It was really slow, as I've said. It was quite directionless for quite a lot of it. Um, a few times we seemed so hesitant to play into midfield and be on the turn, like Elliot or Milner being able to turn with the first touch, that they were both coming really deep into like the full-back areas. And we saw a couple of times both of them having to sort of go all the way back to Allison. And when they do, fine, we keep hold of the ball, but then they have to get all the way back into those uh, channel areas in midfield. And so, again, there was nobody there for a good eight, ten seconds of play, which is quite a long time to be keeping the ball at once. It was just very, very fragmented. It was really disappointing, to be perfectly honest. It annoyed me a hell of a lot. Um, and the goal itself, I mean, I'll, I'll let Dave go over the initial losing of the ball because I, I sense he will need to you know, let his own head explode once in a while. Otherwise, we may not get to the end of the podcast before he spontaneously combusts tonight. But <laughs> the actual goal itself was know, it was more of the same. The, the running behind Trent, it just seems like he was either jogging through, I don't know what, treacle or he just hadn't realised the danger was there. Gomez didn't stop the cross coming in. Nobody had picked up not just one but two runners moving into the box. No surprises on who that was on obviously, at least one of those and then like you say, when, when Milner goes flying across, I would expect that to be a cutback and so if I expect that to be a cutback, international standard defenders must also expect that to be a cutback. I would expect Virgil then to be streaking across, ready to close down straight away. Now, I know we have this thing going on where Liverpool defenders, centre-backs especially, do not try to throw themselves in the way of long-range shots and block it and deflect it and it loops in and goes into the net. This was not a long-range shot. This was someone like basically on the penalty spot with a free shot. I think Alisson... I'm not really sure what was going on there if he was a little bit unsighted, but he seemed to really buy a really obvious dummy and he was like three or four yards out of position because he'd started to dive to his left initially. So he had no chance of getting back over to it to the right. So I, I did have question marks over him, but like I said, I'm not sure if he was unsighted because I never got to see an angle from like behind the goal on, on the actual opener. Um, but again, it was too slow from everybody. Nobody reacted quickly enough other than Milner, who kind of had to throw himself in, but once he did, he was taken out of the game completely. So it could have been Sancho on his left foot. It could have been Sancho walking around the ball like he did on his right foot. It could have been Sancho passing it square to Fernandez, and he had a tap in. It was a shambles. You know, it's very hard to argue with anything there, especially that last sentence, Dave, when you think about it. Um, and I, I look, I, again, I just... I found it so infuriating that he was able to do that. He was able to sell that dummy to Milner and as a, as a result to the keeper too. Um, and then still just have time to still use that same foot that had done that motion. It, it added insult to injury to have Fernandez, as Carl has said as well, inside pointing, saying, mm-hmm. here, just give it to me. The fucking idiots on Sky were saying, he's saying, that's where you should finish. Put the ball there. Fuck's sake. He was saying, give me the ball so I can tap it in. But like, man, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the concession, that goal, and we'll barge on there through the rest of the first half when, you're, when, you, when you have uh, said whatever you want to say on it. I've already highlighted how we lost the ball. Yeah. Which was we had the ball on the edge of their box. And if anyone missed it, Jordan Henderson just wellied the ball up in the air for no reason at all. Just wellied it up in the air. And then he could easily stop the attack by just planting himself into Sancho 
take man, take bull, take the whole thing. Worst case, you get a yellow card. You don't tackle anyway. So what difference is it going to make if you get a yellow card? But he doesn't. He steps back out of it. Sancho hits it to, I think, Rashford, gives it back to Sancho, and they're away. And then the worst part is we managed to get our defence back in place, and our midfield never gets itself in place at all. And they have, like, three different phases of attack. Now, once the ball comes to Sancho, I disagree with Carl. I don't think James Milner should be throwing himself anywhere. I really don't. If Milner stays on his feet, the only thing Sancho can try and do is beat Ali in the side of the net that Ali has covered. Because Virgil's blocking the middle and Milner will have blocked the shot to the left of the goal. So he's got to shoot past Ali. Milner flings himself on the ground. I don't think Virgil expects Milner to, sh- to throw himself on the ground either. But when Milner does throw himself on the ground, Virgil has a decision to make. He can either stay where he is and dare Sancho to shoot. And there's one of two outcomes from that. He scores or he doesn't score. So it's a 50-50. He either scores or he doesn't score. They're the only two outcomes from what Virgil does. But if Virgil presses on him, if Virgil goes out to clean him out or block the shot or whatever, all of a sudden there are five different outcomes. Outcome one is that Virgil manages to successfully stop him and clear the ball. Outcome two is that Sancho shoots, it hits Virgil and goes in. Outcome three is that Sancho dribbles past an onrushing Virgil, Sancho being one of the best dribblers in the league, it's very possible that he would, and has an easier uncontested un, uh, shot on goal. Option four, Sancho skips by him, Virgil fouls him. Now it's a penalty, potentially a red card. And option five is Virgil steps to him and Sancho slips the ball to Bruno Fernandes, who's standing completely unmarked, seven yards from our goal. And it's an easy tap-in. So Virgil took the 50-50. Rather than reducing it to 20% in his chance, 20% of the outcome in his chance, one of five. Four ways that could go wrong. He played the percentages. It went wrong. He took a gamble. It went wrong. But if he'd stepped out, his chances of getting a good outcome are much smaller. Much smaller. Because everybody else is all at sea. When Sancho gets the ball and dummies the shot, Trent is walking across the box. As Milner comically slides past him and sticks an arm back out, and Sancho has time to take the touch with his left foot to tee back up his right foot, then Trent starts to come across. So I want more from Milner. Stay on your feet. I want more from Trent. Run. Just run. Do not walk across your penalty box when someone's about to shoot. I don't care if you can't get to the ball. Try and get to the ball. If you fail, fine. You're never, ever going to criticise a player when they've clearly given their all and just not got there. But what Trent did was an abomination. Well, Henderson was gone walkies again. God knows where he was gone. And like I said, Virgil, 
Could he do more? Yeah, probably. But he does have to weigh up what's going on. He knows Bruno's beside him. He knows Bruno is there for the easy tap-in because Andy Robertson is deeper than Virgil. So if Virgil steps and Bruno stays, Andy Robertson is playing him on site. It's, it's in all, it, like Carl said, it is a shambles of a goal to concede. From the minute the ball got booted up in the air, everything that happened after that point from a Liverpool perspective is a shambles. Let's segue out of that by focusing our, our attention for the remainder of that half via Trent Alexander-Arnold, who picks up a yellow in 24 minutes uh, and could have had one a little earlier, if we're being honest. Uh, we had Tyler talking about how the high line is exposable. We had Carragher and Neville um, in their element. Carragher started talking about Joe Gomez and, and Virgil and the 7-2 at Villa. Uh, Tyler f- fires in the line they know where the weak spot is. The reason I'm speaking about the commentary team, for those of you who don't who aren't following on Sky, is because this is, we know, the narrative with a big TM in a circle. And I want just at some point um, in your reference to this remainder of the first half, Dave, you to speak to speak about that. Was is it an off night for Trent, or is it that he is get outable if he doesn't have the cover there? And the lineup of the midfield had uh, a different person in front of him um, in tonight's showing. We did see Ali being fantastic from an Ericsson free. Uh, it's a really good hit from him. It's going into the top corner from over on the left hand side. He curls it in beautifully. Ali has to get a full stretch touch on it. Um, when we have an opportunity in 27 minutes to do something via Robbo, his delivery is absolutely appalling. Miller can't make a pass. Henderson can't make a pass. On 28 minutes, a really, really poor Henderson effort from a great ball by Mo Salah, pulling the ball back to him. Um, it's he just sh- he had a shout at somebody because he fucked up his own chance. It's just lack of technique. Like you'd said earlier on, the lad is struggling to do the basics, never mind something ambitious like a long-range shot. And to be fair, in the lead-up to that, where we were actually having a half-decent move... Bobby Firmino had totally overcomplicated things when he didn't need to, uh, or a simple thing would have been better. We did see some decent stuff from uh, uh, Luis Diaz on about the 30-minute mark. It was a cross block by Dallo. And between 30 and 40, we're okay. We get back into a little bit, bit more tempo, a little bit better football, ball retention. Um and there's a little chance as well. Miller has a sort of header, which is uh, head back across the goal. Um, and they, it's not so much a chance as something they fucked up. Bruno Fernandes coming charging back towards that Miller header, actually drives the ball at his own goal. And instead of scoring a spectacular own goal and giving us all a bit of a laugh on a lifeline, it actually hits Martinez, who everyone had gone out of their way to say was too small and shite and all the rest of it. And there he is with yet another intervention on the night. Uh, the ball breaks to Harvey Elliott, who shot not that far wide of the top corner from the edge of the box. And on 42, it was a great ball by Harvey Elliott into Robbo, which led to a corner. Dallow picks up a yellow, but that's about the height of it. So in terms of the events of the, of, of, of the remainder of the first half, 
you can pick on something. I might have left something out there you want to talk about. But just in terms of this thing about Trent being the weak spot, we've spoken about it a million times. Does he have it in him to actually prove his critics uh, to be like wise and insightful when he plays like this, which is almost entirely focused on what he's doing going forward as opposed to what we know he can do, which is be a very good defender. And it's, mm. it's the you know it's the lazy it's the lazy pundits who don't understand that last aspect of it. I mean, he got he got run tonight. He, he absolutely got run tonight. Alanga, Alanga took him on and beat him a couple of times. And Alanga will take on and beat most fullbacks in the Premier League because he's absolutely rapid. But what's weird to me is this only ever really gets highlighted when it's Trent. Like, I watched Reese James get absolutely torn apart in Leeds versus Chelsea yesterday. And then I watched... Alan St. Maximum make Kyle Walker look like he'd won a raffle to play in the game and had come to the game straight from a building site in a pair of builders' wellies. Like, this doesn't just happen to Trent. It just gets highlighted more when it's Trent. But let's look at what Trent was dealing with tonight. He had a new centre-back that he hasn't played with regularly in a long time. Joe hasn't been a regular starter in a long time. He had... Harvey Elliott in front of him, who's a gamer, but he's not good defensively. Like, he'll try. The one thing you'll give the lad is he does try. And then you've got Salah, who isn't exactly known for, you know, being a, a, a wanted defender. So you've got no real help in front. You've got no help from the holding midfielder who can't even do his own job. So you've got Trent 1v1. But it's not 1v1 because every time Alanga picks the ball up, Bruno, with the space of Old Trafford to enjoy because the defensive midfielder is not tracking him, is drifting out there. So now Trent has to worry about Alanga going outside him or playing the ball back for Bruno, in which case he's got to go to Bruno, who just plays it back into Alanga. So Klopp's decision to pick that midfield, again, exposes that defence. The fact that we're currently forced to play Joey Gomez, who's just missed so much football, and was clearly a little bit rough tonight. Like, he, he clearly wasn't that what we know Joe Gomez can be. And when I see people on social media having a pop at Gomez, I just don't know where their heads are. They just clearly don't know what they're talking about because it's the lad's first start of the season. He barely played any football last year. Like, he's got a bunch of appearances and, and no minutes. He missed most of the previous season. Gomez is just rusty. And that didn't help Trent either. But yeah, Trent does need to be better in his defensive work. It's not a a knock on him. He's capable of doing it. It's more a consistency issue with Trent. Like, But at the same time, he's the type that teams will pick at. There's two reasons they'll pick at him. One was often because he got no support in front. So teams were able to go 2v1. Like how many times have we come on a raw after a game and spoken about how many times Trent got left 2v1 down that side. Because either Salah hadn't tracked a fullback, or a midfielder hadn't tracked a runner, or a Ford had drifted out wide, and Trent got left doubled up on an island by himself. And normally he does okay. But there are times when he switches off, where he starts to get the hump early in games as well, and he starts to try and force things on the ball. 
And that affects his concentration off the ball. And I thought we saw a bit of that tonight as well. One thing, I will give Henderson credit here. He did win the ball back twice or three times in the last, say, 10 minutes of the first half. Uh, largely because he seemed to decide he was going to go play as a number nine. And Bobby dropped in to play in the holding midfield role. And we actually got better defensively with Henderson ahead of Bobby than we were with Bobby ahead of Henderson, which I thought was an odd thing. Uh, but when we re-established a little foothold in the game for that last 10 minutes, it was with Bobby sitting, Bobby dropping really deep and Henderson pressing on against their forwards. And as for Bruno, um, I mean, to be fair to him, it's probably the best game Fernandez has had in six months. And I thought he was excellent tonight. But that would have been one of the great own goals because he absolutely leathers that ball from about two yards out. And it hits Martinez. I don't know how Milner misses from there or just doesn't get it on target. But, you know, he's he's a five foot nine concrete block attempting to jump. And that's never the easiest thing in the world. On the ongoing midfield saga, uh, we all have our suspicions that um, Naby Keita is either on his way somewhere or had a fallout. But I see that producer Guy Drinkle agrees with me when he comments on the following quote from Klopp on Naby Keita, where he says, apparently chatting to BN Sports, out of nothing, he fell crazy, is the quote from Klopp. Uh, and Guy reckons there's not a chance he's actually injured. It would be interesting to watch. You know what, Carl? We are going to start making up the pace here a little bit because as I go through this second half, I can see some things. They do make a change. They bring on Martial for Alanga, who had done well in the early goings. Um, better from us, though, in this opening. While on 49, there's a Trent corner to Mo Salah at the edge of the box. Mo's volley is less than um, uh, technically proficient and it goes wildly over. But you know what? It didn't last. We were sloppy as all hell in 50 minutes with Bobby Firmino losing the ball and then a series of failed clearances. Not quite Keystone Cop stuff, but second to everything stuff in the vein of why is Trent jogging or walking or why are we not closing the ball or why are we standing off and that type of thing. And of course it leads to them taking the lead further on 52 minutes when Rashford gets his goal. Now, I will say that I think in, if, the, if, if it goes the other way, I think that ball, that goal is disallowed for Liverpool. I, 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 I looked at it once because I could barely, I was that disgusted, I could barely look at it, but it looked to me like it was clearly going to be given as offside. But anyway, they've, they've VAR have decided it is. The lines didn't look right on the, on the screen, but again, they often do that to us too. But it comes from a terrible bit of um, inability to control the ball from the captain. The ball spills to Martial. He slides in Rashford, who it turns out, apparently, according to VAR, has timed his run very well. And he finishes brilliantly, to be fair. But it's not just that. And I'm going to take it on a little bit further, at least halfway into this half, because we needed Ali to make a great save from Rashford only a couple of minutes later, 55 minutes. He has arrowed his effort into the bottom corner and Ali gets right across to tip it away and around the post. Um, and this came from a, a situation where Varane was in our box, holding the ball up and holding lads off and laying it off to Rashford so he can get that shot away. Um 
we do have a little bit of an attempt where Harvey carried the ball and shot wide of the right-hand post at the near post with his right foot. So all those things were going against him, if we're being perfectly honest. Uh, we bring on Fab for Henderson. Um, and I want to pause it here with you about halfway through this half because on about 60-odd minutes, there was a fantastic ball by Joe Gomez, one of the few really kind of outstanding things I saw from on a bad night for Joe, into Bobby Firmino. It's an actually really nice ball that he, he plays in, curling and forward and dropping at Bobby's feet. And Bobby's in space and he's in front of goal. And the air swipe that he takes... You know, this guy we know is so technically proficient. I just thought absolutely was a beautiful metaphor for the shite we'd watched to that point. Anything as far as that 66 or 65 odd minutes mark that you want to chat about? No, I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier, it would have been interesting to see if after United started well, what would have happened to them if we just scored first. Well, it was kind of the opposite in the second half because we came out playing with a bit more tempo and looking like we were ready to get in the faces a bit more, but then they get a breakaway and score from it. And we didn't react at all. That was the worst thing about it. It was like, as soon as it went in, 2-0, that was like, it almost felt like that was game up. And that's not a nice thing to, to feel given how many comebacks we've had and how many in a moments we've had where we just think we get the next goal and then all of a sudden, even if there's only like eight minutes left and we're still losing, you feel like we're going to win. Not once today did I feel that way. Not once. Not even at nil-nil. As soon as we kicked off and we saw how the game went, at no point did it look like Liverpool were going to win that match. That was the most disappointing thing from my perspective. The goal was a fucking atrocity, Trev. There's no danger there whatsoever, let alone a chance of a goal. But it was not just technical inability. Like, yes, you're right, it was in the first instance. But then he misses two separate challenges to win that ball back as well. And then is one of two players what jogging back forward as Rashford just runs through. Now, I think we probably could have done a little bit better in terms of uh, blocking off that pass because it was a, a very obvious and easy pass. It's obviously an easier thing to say than do at that moment in time. And it happened quite quickly. But I do think that we... If we've got an established partnership there, if both those players are, um, you know, really, really in good form and all the rest of it, I think we'll probably either catch them or stop that ball going through. To be honest, it's a great finish. Um, no, no question that like Allison should have done any better on that one or anything like that. And you know, like you say, he saved that one and he saved another one-on-one a bit later on as well. So they could easily have had four tonight. So again, go back to what Klopp said. How exactly were we supposed to win that? Because the closest we came to scoring was two own goals, and neither of them went in in the end. So, yeah. I mean, it's just a terrible, terrible performance all the way through. Um, that period that we've just described there, up to basically the goal and that, Firmino, I don't really know what to say about him in the minute. I, I love Bob. I really, really do. He's one of my favourite players for a long, long time. But at the moment, he is almost as far away from being capable of playing first choice at the moment as Henderson is. He's so, so far off at the moment. He'll have the odd moment where he might look like he's working hard and he does all that kind of thing still. And yes, that's good. But we're in a moment where the team need the forwards to be very, very capable with very, very little because the midfield's not creating anything as well as being pretty bad defensively. And at the moment, there's not very much link-up play. There's not very many good combinations that we normally see. Um, 
like I said, the air kick kind of tops off exactly where we are in that uh, forward line at the minute because we didn't really create any clear-cut chances of note all the way through the match. Yeah, I, I think watching the decline of Bob is one of the low points for me as well. And I, I hope it's something that can be arrested. I fear it mightn't be. Carl, I'll be back to you to finish because, you know, we've, we're going to go along here as well, but we will finish on our absolute outside amount of, of, of 90 minutes. Um, so I'll be back to you to wrap up uh, in, a, in a minute. Dave, in the remainder of the game, obviously we do get a goal back. It happens in 81 minutes where Harvey Elliott heads the ball to uh, Fabio Carvalho, who hits a bit of a snapshot, uh, uh, and Mo is there to snap up the rebound um, and head it home. It's a good poacher's goal for Mo, but in terms of what happens around that, like I said, we had brought on Fabinho for Henderson. We bring on Fabio Carvalho for Milner on about 73. They have Fred on for Sancho. Um, there's a bit of a nothing effort, a back post header by Fabinho in 66 minutes, uh, which is saved comfortably enough by De Gea. Um, Fernandez picks up a yellow for diving, more of which later. Uh, on 75, Rashford beat Trent, Harvey, totally did up Joe Gomez like a kipper, left him with twisted blood, and then just blasted over. Um, it's a good opportunity. 80 minutes, Bobby has an effort uh, saved from Marabo Cross. It's probably Bob's best moment of the match. It would have been a hell of a lot better if he could have scored it. Uh, and after the goal, Fernandez is acting the Egypt in a way that, you know, I, I know when he was available, you very much wanted him mm. to be a Liverpool player. As we've seen his career pan out in United, it is safe enough to say that he, he doesn't come across as a likeable lad. Uh, and that bullshit he was doing, it had. I, I found myself with PTSD because last week we were looking at a referee and saying, will you fucking step up and be a man and control this situation? Uh, will you just take the authority that's been given to you and use it? And here we have the nation's best referee, again, TM in a circle, Michael Oliver. And he's letting this lad walk around, act a prick. He's already got a yellow. He should have another one. He should be gone. I'm not saying that makes the slightest bit of difference. And it wouldn't make me feel happy or anything. But I just, it annoyed the crap out of me, Dave, because I want some consistency here. And that's just not okay behavior. It's not but like that it just is consistency from referees, Trev, because this is what they always do. It was the same last week when we played Palace and he booked their goalkeeper in the 91st minute. And that basically was telling him, you're now okay to time waste for the rest of this game. Yeah. He was never, ever going to send Bruno off for a second jello. For time wasting, because nobody gets sent off. Unless Bruno had turned around and volleyed the ball into the stand, he wasn't getting a second yellow. So Bruno knows that. So that's smart. I'd want our players doing that as well. If we were in the same situation, 2-0 up against our rivals when we're playing horrifically leading into the game and they're coming to town having battered us last year, I'd want my players doing that. Bruno is a prick. He is a prick. Now, maybe it's because I'm a prick as well, but I like that. 
Now, for some of the stuff he does, that's just not for me at all. Like the dive, not for me. Pretending to get poked in the eyes isn't for me as well. But I want someone with a bit of rat about them, a bit of needle about them. Someone that's going to do things to try and win his team games. Bernardo Silva is a little prick as well. I take him in a heartbeat over the crap we've just been forced to watch tonight. Oh, of course, but the point was just yet again we see a referee. Oh, referees are cowards. With, with, without cowards. Ha- yeah, yeah, a bottle job referee again, and it's just, it's it's just fucking infuriating. Look, I do want to get this show wrapped up. The only thing worse so- than, than referees cowardice, Trev, is managerial cowardice when they won't make the right decisions, they won't make the big decisions, they won't make the tough decisions. And we saw an example of managerial cowardice tonight. It was no surprise we got better when Fabinho came on. It was no surprise we got better when Fabio Carvalho came on. Players with a bit of technical ability, players with a bit of gumption about them, players that belong on the level, not lads that are well past it. Like, we can sit here and we can analyse this game till we're blue in the face. The bottom line is this squad isn't good enough. We are short in midfield and Bobby, as much as we've all loved him over the years, Bobby's washed. Bobby is washed. There should not be a contract extension for Bobby Firmino. He should be allowed to head off in the summer to pastures new, just like Henderson should have been going this summer. The decision to give him a contract last season was a was a disaster. He was crap last year and this season he's been even worse. And James Milner, like, why is he still at our club? I get that he's played a big role behind the scenes and he, whatever nonsense platitudes they want to roll out. But don't tell me he sets the standards. Don't tell me him and the other fella set the standards. Because if they're the ones setting the standards, you get results like tonight. You get results like Fulham. You get results like Palace. That's where they set the standards. In the last 15 games against the big six and in Champions League games, where the two of them have both played 45 minutes together on the pitch, we've won four. We've won four of those games. That's not acceptable. And it's a clear, it's a clear, clear signal to illustrate the point that what most of those lads need the fellas that we find ourselves talking about on a regular basis what they really needed was the rocket up the arse that is the arrival of a 23 year old world-class footballer yeah. who's who's going to start you know and now now you you have to beat him to get in the team and that might motivate you in a different way and you know what should... james milner needs right being completely honest you know what james milner needs He needs Gags and Eddie to give him a podcast where he can talk about the best players he played against. That's what he needs. He doesn't need to be playing football for us anymore. He needs to be on a podcast with Ben Foster talking about how it was years ago. Because that's just what he is now. And again, like you'd have to say... It's not just one midfielder. We need two. It's also not his fault. It's also not his fault. fault. It's not his fault. Because like I said earlier, he at least tried. The other fella... Didn't even try. For about 10 minutes he did, and then the rest of it was just a shambles. At least Milner, like you said, was making those runs into the box. He's not going to do anything when he gets in there, but at least he's making the run. At least he's trying to make something happen. Now, it's a bit rich seeing him turn around screaming at people while Scott McTominay is outplaying him. Like, 
that was my tweet at halftime. To sum up the first half, if you haven't watched the game, Scott McTominay has not been the worst midfielder on the pitch. He hasn't even been the second worst midfielder on the pitch. And that told you all you needed to know about how the first half had gone. And look, it's not his fault. It's Jurgen Klopp's fault. It is Jurgen Klopp's fault. Klopp picked them. Klopp is the one that's dug his heels in. Klopp is the one that's refused to move for the midfielders that have been offered to him because he's got some infatuation in his head with a fellow who's not available till next summer. And it is it is high time that people start to realise that while Jurgen Klopp is an incredible manager and he knows more about football than all of us, he's not infallible. Right. Like, so let, let me let can't me make mistakes. Let, let me cut in here and get before I get your literal final thoughts. Uh, or plugs or whatever you want to do. I've got I've got a question for you and Carl. Maybe you might bank this one as well, and you can address it if you like. What do you make of the people who are saying? I do. I, I like genuinely, just in a brief way, just dismiss it or say it as valid validity if you like. What do you make of the people who are saying that this has a certain feel to it at the moment? Um, Oh, the about people, Dortmund in the last season. People who are looking at narratives and trying to. I, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I, I I can't have that. I think. No, I think it's it's it's, it's just I people think it's, from I think patterns. Yeah. So, so 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 in other words, that would mean that you also think, do you, or are you nervous that this pattern could be arrested by a little bit of an evolution in the manager's thought? Because we've seen that happen before. The pattern could be arrested by the sporting director taking a stronger hand. By telling the manager, you're getting these players. Simple as. We're not renewing the contracts of players who are not good enough anymore. Because it's the manager who insisted on renewing Milner's contract. It's the manager who insisted on renewing Henderson's contract after he ran crying to the press because the club weren't going to give him a new extension or they were going to give him one year. It's the manager who's made those decisions. It's the manager who made the decision not to sign Matthias Nunes a week ago and allowed him to go to Wolves. It's the manager who's turned down the other midfielders that have been offered him. It's the manager who sat in press conferences all summer long and said, oh, no, but we have have enough midfielders. No, we have enough midfielders. No, no, we have enough midfielders. That wasn't FSG. That wasn't anybody else. That was him. That was him that made those decisions. Him that made the decision that he was going to dig his heels in because he got fed up being asked the question and he felt like it was disrespectful to his current players. And the reason the question was been asked is because it was clear as day that the current ones weren't good enough. They weren't good enough last year. They're not going to get any better this year. They're going to get older. They're going to get more injury prone. And it's him that has stopped the signing of a midfielder. And now it's him that has to walk back his comments like he started to do the other night. Now he can try and pass it off as I'm not in charge of what gets spent. Bullshit. Bullshit. Does anyone really think if Jurgen Klopp went to the owners and said, I need this player or I'm gone or I need this player or whatever. There's not, there's not, there's not a manager in a stronger position None. in world football. No manager in world football is in a stronger position than him. Not one. But yet he's too happy to be the underdog. Because that's the position he likes. Because if he went and spent 60 or 70 million on a midfielder, 
he'd be worried that public perception might be that he's buying success or some such nonsense. He likes to be the underdog. He is morphing into Wenger before our very eyes. And that's concerning to me. And I've said it before, it wouldn't surprise me if we evolved into a situation where title challenges were just no longer something we we experienced, but we won a bunch of cups, were top four every year, and you know went to the quarterfinals in the Champions League, similar to Wenger's last decade at Arsenal. And I, I think, unfortunately, there's some in the fan base that would be more than happy with, with that, but I'm not happy with that at all. Not when you've got this platform, not when we know how good this guy is. Maybe he just needs somebody to pick a fight with him and get him riled up and make him want to start over and prove it all again with this team and show that he can go and dominate European football. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but like there's, there's small little bits about Klopp that concern me. Little small things. Like when I hear him say, oh, the day after the Champions League final, I was already over it. And then I hear a Gary Neville story about Alex Ferguson, who's in his mid-60s at this point. United lose the Champions League final in 09. And bearing in mind, Ferguson has dominated English football for 17 years at this point, won two European Cups. And United lose the European Cup final. And four days later, Neville goes to the training ground to collect his boots to go off and do his uh, A-licence. At 6.30 in the morning, Ferguson is sitting in his office, plotting for next season, livid that they've lost the Champions League final. And I've seen a few people point out, like, if you look at Guardiola and Conte and where they came from and what they went through as players, the, the machines that they came through at Barcelona and at Juventus, the managers they played under, that innate desire to win, that innate need to win year upon year upon year is ingrained in them and maybe it's just not ingrained in Klopp you know he will win because he's brilliant but maybe he doesn't feel that need to win every year but I'm sorry that's not what this club is Bill Shankly Bob Paisley they built this club to win every fucking year and then Jurgen made us failure. And then Jurgen made us think that it was possible that we were going to do that. So I, and Jurgen's I, I, good I, enough to do it. That's, I don't know if I don't know if Jurgen understands how great Jurgen is. I I don't know because he's such a humble guy. I don't know that he understands how great he is and doesn't just think but they're just being really nice when they tell me I'm great. You know, you know. I I I I don't know that he understands how fucking special he is. I really don't. Well, because he wasn't a great player, so he never had that oversized ego the way a lot of great players like Guardiola and Conte would have had who had spectacular playing careers. I just wonder if Klopp doesn't realise what he's capable of well, and I, doesn't realise that there can be dominance. I, 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 hope, I hope the penny drops if it hasn't for him because, like I say, he's made all of us believe that it's possible and made me and the likes of you and Carl here like incredibly annoyed that it's not happening because the, these trophies are reserved. From you, we'll have no doubt two-footed. We'll have daily read. We'll have scouted. Is there anything I'm missing there? Uh, possibly no podcast Thursday, Friday this week, um, but uh, otherwise I'll be back. I'll be back, hopefully all going well, for Raw. 
Uh, but yeah, they'll be two-footed tomorrow and Wednesday for certain. Maybe Thursday, Friday, depends how the week works. And then um, I'll hopefully be unscouted this week, but it is still all a bit up in the air for me. Any scribble? Uh, yeah, there'll be a, an article on on AnfieldIndex.com uh, looking back at tonight's shambles. It will be up, I hope, on Wednesday. Uh, and aside from that, uh, there'll be a couple of previews over on Liberty Shields blog. Lovely stuff. To hear uh, your final thoughts, Carl, on what Davis uh, deemed uh, uh, tonight's shambles, um, I'm very interested to hear what it is that you have that remains sort of in your desire to, to talk about as we see the show out here. Like, I mean, how's it sitting with you now? You, we, 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 this can often be quite therapeutic and sometimes actually I find it can just ramp up your annoyances. <laughs> what, 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 what has it done to you so far in this discussion? It's the latter tonight, to be honest. I've got more and more annoyed <laughs> as I've gone over each part of the game. Um, yeah. yeah. I've, to be perfectly honest, I, I must admit, while I'm watching the game now, less and less I get annoyed or excited or whatever it is compared to how I was before. But then it's because I'm sort of, you know, half working through it and half trying to do the analysis of it and half, you know, all different stuff during the match itself, which is more um, of the football than of the Liverpoolness of it, if you get what I mean. And afterwards, then thinking about it, then I get a lot more satisfaction when we played really well or a lot more fume, rage and bile in the back of my throat when it's tonight. And that's kind of what it's what it's being going through these podcasts when I'm looking back at little clips when we've seen and I've seen the absolute shit movement that we've got in midfield really, really frustrated me. Now, a, a couple of things I actually I'll just do this really, really quickly because I know you want to wrap up. But I completely forgot to mention it during the actual podcast when we were talking about it. No, I'll take your time. Very, you? very early on. We were so, so deep tonight, like for about 20 minutes there. We barely had Van Dijk and Gomez any more than. 10, 15 metres maybe outside our own penalty box. And normally it would be much, much higher upfield. Now, obviously, the easy way to say that is that they had the balls we had to defend, but they, even so, we would squeeze much, much higher up and they would be higher up and we would force them to run in behind from miles out. And Allison would be higher up, obviously. That's how we defend usually, even if they have the ball, even if they're looking dangerous. That's where we are. And three reasons for that tonight. One was that they dropped off straight away and then found it really, really difficult to step up. Two, we had no midfield. Uh, and so there was nobody to put pressure on the ball. There was nobody really working together in, you know, those little two units that we have sometimes. And through the forward line was obviously pretty poor in terms of uh, aggression and energy and closing down from very, very deep as well. So the whole structure from that team was really, really lacking right from the start. And it does always go back to the midfield. That's what sets the platform for us. It always, always has done. Whether it's back in the day when we had almost that diamonds, we had the overload with Bobby dropping deep, whether it was a little bit later on where we went to the four in matches across the midfield, um, whether it's last year when we went to the double pivot when we're in, in, in possession a bit higher upfield. We've always had this midfield platform where we can make ourselves be higher upfield, whether we've got the ball or not. And we didn't do that until about 35 minutes into the game today. We didn't have a shot on target. In fact, we didn't even have a shot before they scored their first goal. I think we'd had one shot on target, which was Diaz, which was pretty hopeful by the time they scored their second. That Fabinho ahead of the far post that you mentioned, that was our second shot on target. We were so, so, so far off it tonight. So I'm absolutely a lot more annoyed. And usually at this point, obviously, I finished with a couple of stats, but I've only got two for us this time. Um, one is um, a very, very good indication of why sometimes you... Uh, have to completely ignore statistics and why you always, always need context for statistics. And that is in the uh, dispossessed number. 
That's the times that a Liverpool player was recorded as having lost the ball, not during a dribble. Jordan Henderson finished with zero tonight, which is an interesting old number for him. Uh, considering we've already gone over, it was resulting in at least two goals from having been dispossessed or otherwise lost the ball. And the other statistic is that no matter how annoyed we are, no matter how bad it is, there's always Moyes boys. His former club are below us, Everton. His current club, West Ham, are the only pointless side in the league in the bottom. <laughs> I'm very grateful to you for uh, mining some uh, comparative uh, awfulness that doesn't make us look quite so bad. Yeah, look, I, I pretty appreciate the sum up there. I find myself nodding along with everything. And just to finish out completely, no doubt you'll be scribbling away during the week and doing podcasts. Just let people know what they can expect from you and where they can go to get it. Yeah, I've got a couple of reaction pieces from tonight. Obviously, they'll be out. Uh, I think one's already out now tonight and the other one will be tomorrow morning. Um, so Tuesday morning, I've got a big, big Barcelona piece which came out over the weekend looking at their summer, their finances, the whole weirdness that's going on over in Catalonia. And across the course of the week, I will not actually be writing anything because I am now off for the next three days and visiting the family in Spain. Good man. We'll go and enjoy and hope that you get some headspace from what has been quite a fraught start to this season for Liverpool. It's been difficult uh, doing these first three shows in a, in a myriad ways. But yet we do them and we enjoy them and hopefully you get something out of them. And I, I believe they help people to work through their own frustrations after it. So hopefully that's been the effect rather than us just annoying you doubly. Um, we will wrap it up. That was Carl Matchett. You heard Dave Hendrick. I'm Trev Downey. Guy Drinkle was producing and we will be back with you for the next one. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.